Treadmill Tour, calling believers from man's institutions to God's instructions. Last week, we talked about Yom Kippur. It is considered the holiest time of the year by many Jews and believers in Messiah Yeshua. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. The creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great and mighty God who was and is and is to come, is calling his people to meet with him. It is a solemn and serious time, and most Christians have little understanding of the gravity or history of this appointment. We didn't, but now that we do, we want to share what we've learned with you. I hope you'll stick with us on the journey. You can email us at redpilltorah at gmail.com, subscribe to our podcast at redpilltorah.podbean.com, or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Let's keep the righteousness flowing on social media. In our last podcast, we talked a bit about Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is about repentance and atonement. One of our podcast listeners, Pod Beaned, asked a question related to priests and sacrifices. This is something found in all of God's holy appointments. Her question was, because there are no priests and there are some things we cannot do in God's celebrations, what would those things be? And lastly, is Jesus now our great high priest? The answer to our question is as follows. There are things we can't do. Those include worshiping at the temple and giving burnt offerings. The main reason we can't follow those instructions are there is no temple in Jerusalem and the Aaronic priesthood is not functioning. Now, Jesus is our great high priest and his priestly service is in the real heaven, not in the earthly replica, the temple. His sacrifice, done once for all time, accomplished our redemption something that the earthly sacrifices could never do. Mm-hmm. Maybe Podbean's real question is, did Jesus replace the need for the earthly priest? The short answer to that question is no. Let's read a prophecy in Jeremiah 33 that supports my answer. The book of Jeremiah documents God's last warning to the southern kingdom of Judea before the Babylonian captivity. It also shows God's great mercy in prophesying a good future for the Jewish people. Chapter 33 is part of that prophecy, which has yet to be fulfilled. Please read the entire chapter for context, but for now, I'll go to verse 15, which says, In the time of God's deliverance, he will cause a branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. When the scriptures mention the branch, it's a mention of the Messiah. We know this scripture is speaking of the second coming of the Messiah because Judah has not received its final deliverance as a people, and Jerusalem is not yet dwelling safely. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Verse 17 gives God's promise that a son of David will always rule over Israel, speaking again of the Messiah. Verse 18 gives God's eternal guarantee of a Levite to perform sacrifices before him. Now, the Messiah is from the tribe of Judah, not Levi. So the promise of a Levite for sacrifices is not speaking of the Messiah. Verse 24 says, Don't you consider what these people have said, saying the two families the Lord has chosen, he has thrown them away? Now, those two families are the line of David within the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Levi. 
This prophecy of restoration is so far unfulfilled, but it will be fulfilled one day. Mm -hmm. Read the rest of this chapter and see that God says um, that his covenants with David and with the Levites are as sure as the cycle of night and day. So if you believe God's covenant with Noah, um, as evidenced by an occasional sighting of a rainbow, surely you can believe that there will be priests to sacrifice because of the day-to-night cycle. I get it. Also, if you send us an email, we'll be glad to send other scriptures that talk about the restoration of sacrifices in times to come. Also remember that the Bible's definition of fulfill is to feel full of meaning, not to check the box and do away with. For more perspective on your question, go to YouTube and look up Psalm 119 Ministries, followed by the word sacrifices. Watch that video with your Bible in hand. And thanks for the great question. You know, there's so much teaching going on that chunks of the Old Testament are done away with. And it's really hard to unlearn those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Many people read the Bible through lenses that presuppose that God has changed his mind, or he ended things that he said he never he ended things that he said would be forever. Mm-hmm. If we use the New Testament to support those beliefs, we are actually valuing the writing of Paul and other New Testament writers over the spoken words of Jesus the Messiah and the spoken words of God the Father. Mm. I am so glad to know that the New Testament does not conflict with the Old Testament. God's word is one, and it really does line up as one message. Amen, Mama. Now let's talk about our need for atonement. The sacrificial system in Leviticus teaches us a whole lot about why we need atonement. As it turns out, before we can come to God for atonement, we need to be made acceptable. Well, we know that Jesus' sacrifice makes us acceptable to God, the Father, but how was it done before Jesus? Great question, Mama. There are three types of sacrifices that are talked about in the first few chapters of Leviticus, and these sacrifices were instituted by the Lord God. Okay. They are called the Ola, the Mincha, and the Zivah. Some time ago, we learned that these uh, offerings deal with man's corrupt nature. The Ola offering was given to allow the offerer to approach God. This burnt offering consisted of a blemish-free animal. Could be a bull, a goat, a sheep, or even a bird. The second sacrifice, the Minka, was a meal or grain offering. This offering was a mixture of fine flour, oil, and frankincense. It was also called the obedience or tribute offering. The minka is similar to offering a gift to a dignitary just for the opportunity to be in that person's presence. It was not optional. The third sacrifice, called the ziva, is known as a peace offering. It was given to communicate the worshiper's desire for fellowship with God. Like the Ola, it was a burnt offering with very specific instructions for how it was to be prepared. The ziva could be a male or female animal, and it had to be blemish-free. Our point in mentioning these offerings is to tell you that God mandated a specific way 
to be approached. He's holy, so we must follow his instructions if we want fellowship with him. Mm-hmm. His way is to deal with our sinful nat- nature first before he deals with our individual sins. Just as the Ola sacrifice allowed the worshiper to become acceptable to God, Jesus, our Ola sacrifice, makes us acceptable to God. I'm into that, Mama. When we look at the Lord's Prayer, I can see the order of the Ola, Minka, and Ziva sacrifices before we even get to the actual prayer request. How so? Well, you know, before I answer that, uh, can I clarify something about the Lord's Prayer? Sure. You know, the first words are, Our Father. To me, that means that if God is not your Father, then the rest of the prayer may not apply to you. Matthew 5 and 44 states, Love your enemies and do good to the one who hates you and vexes you, and pray for those who persecute you and oppress you in order that you might be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You know, in the movies, characters often pray the Lord's Prayer when they're in a dangerous situation. It's a good thing to do if God is, in fact, your Father. If not, and you don't live your life according to His instructions, quoting the Lord's Prayer is kind of like reading someone else's mail. It ain't for you. Now, um, about your question, let me read the Lord's Prayer from the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. Yep, you heard me correctly. There is a Hebrew version of Matthew's Gospel, and there's evidence that it was originally written in Hebrew. Send us an email and I'll be very happy to point out that evidence for you. Verse 9 says, Our Father, may your name be sanctified. May your kingdom be blessed. May your will be done in heaven and on earth. So the prayer hasn't even asked for anything yet. By starting with worship and getting in line with God's will, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is like the Ola, Minka, and Ziva sacrifices. In essence, we get on God's page and acknowledge Him as greater than we are. We offer a sacrifice of praise and worship before we ask for anything. Amen again, Mama. The Ola offering was given to allow the giver to approach God. When we call God our Father, we acknowledge our ability to approach Him because of our relationship to Him. Amen. The Minka offering was a tribute to our great King. When we set his name apart and when we pray for his kingdom to come to earth, we're offering tribute. The Zivah is known as a peace offering. When we pray that his will be done, we are aligning our interests to his. The foundation of peace is having the same interests. Amen. At the time of this recording, we are entering Yom Kippur, the holiest time of the year. This is a good time for us to humble ourselves before God, to ask ourselves the question, what would you do if you discovered that the way you live your life or some of your beliefs are not in line with God's instructions? Would you change or would you take the blue pill? Only you can answer that question. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Please go back and read over the scriptures we shared. In our next podcast, We'll talk about our upcoming appointment with our Creator called Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now please check your calendar. 
Sukkot starts with a high Sabbath, so get ready. Thanks for spending 15 or so minutes with us at Red Pill Torah, where you can handle the truth.